So I was at this dinner. It was a, one of those uh, fundraiser functions way back. And it was a Latin-themed night, and it was my first time ever having this dish. It was, it was some kind of soup. And within that soup, there was this strong aftertaste. It was the first time I've ever had it. I'm like, what is this thing? And so I had to ask somebody, and they're like, oh, that's cilantro. <laughs> and from that moment on, I knew then and there that I didn't like cilantro. Almost as much as I don't like raisins. <laughs> and in 2012, there was an academic research study done in Toronto on if there's any like ethno-cultural differences in whether or not someone likes or dislikes cilantro. <laughs> Crazy, right? They had 1,381 participants from different ethnicities and genders, and here were, here were the results. The researchers concluded that there is a difference in percentage of who dislikes cilantro from 3% all the way up to 21%. East Asians, including Koreans, me, were up at 21%. We, we don't like cilantro. Caucasians were at 17%. 14% were those of African descent. And South Asians were at 7%. Hispanics at 4%. And 3% were Middle Eastern. So who here doesn't like cilantro? Okay. And then the rest, do you like cilantro? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, good, good. Well, one thing I should mention about this study is that it was done with young adults. Right? I wonder if that number would have changed, or if we were to ask them again as, as mature adults, if things would have changed at all. And the reason why I say that is because when I had cilantro for the first time, I was a teenager. I was young. My, my palate was not developed. But when I grew up, when I matured and, and found a taste of finer things in life, you know, I tried cilantro again. And I was like, you know what? It's not bad. I don't mind cilantro. And in fact, there are times where I actually like cilantro. So I have this ongoing joke with Jeremy, our, our youth pastor, because <clears throat> he also doesn't like cilantro, or he, he really hates cilantro. I tell him that when he grows up, you know, <laughs> that he'll like cilantro. So it's an ongoing joke. I just ask him. I bug him all the time. And here in our passage today, we see the preacher in the book of Hebrews making a similar analogy. He says to his listeners, look, you can't keep drinking milk anymore. Yes, milk is important and it's good for you and your, your body needs it when you're young. But as you grow and become more mature, you need to add to your diet sustenance beyond the basic necessities of life so that you can flourish. He makes the distinction that those who are babies need milk. But once you've matured, you need more than just milk. You need meat or, or beyond meat, meat. <laughs> right? And the point that the preacher here is making isn't uh, that there are different types of sustenance for different stages of your faith journey. As much as uh, the point here is that the people he was speaking to were people who should have been eating solid food but yet continue to live on a diet of milk. Hebrews 5.11, 
You have much to, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. What the speaker is saying here is that the people he was speaking to have stopped caring. They have become apathetic and have stopped trying to understand the deeper things of faith. The Greek word for no longer try to understand is nothroi, meaning sluggish. And only in the book of Hebrews and nowhere else in the New Testament, this Greek word is used. I like the translation of hard of hearing. I think it gets better at uh, this idea in light of the letter being a sermon. And as we have seen a few chapters ago, the importance of hearing God's voice and not hardening our hearts. So the context that the preacher here is addressing is that there is a group of people who those should have already been teachers are still going through the acts of or the ABCs of faith instead of the solid food that they should be ingesting. Maybe these group of people were just tired. I mean, I've been serving God faithfully from the beginning and need, I just need a break. I don't want to be a teacher and I have more response. I don't want to have all that responsibility anymore. I want to just sit back and let others do the work. Or maybe they felt as though they didn't want to do more than what they were currently doing. I mean, if I become a member, then I have to become a deacon. (laughs) I don't want that responsibility. I like where I am now. I could come and serve and be involved as, as I want and here and there, but I don't have to do anything, you know, that takes real responsibility. It is likely as well that this group faced some challenges and persecution to their faith as those around them obviously did not know Christ or did not want to follow Christ and they were being ridiculed for their faith and even being persecuted. I mean, if everyone around me doesn't care about God or doesn't feel like they care about God or even following Jesus, why should I? I'll put in my time and maybe I'll put in my dues and go to church on Sundays, but I won't Give more than what is necessary or if it makes my life uncomfortable. Whatever the reason may have been, the preacher believed that the listeners were mature enough to teach others, and yet they were acting like they needed to learn the basics basics again. And the preacher of Hebrews is wanting and encouraging his hearers to move beyond the elementary teachings about Jesus And to continue to move towards maturity. Hebrews 6, 1-2. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to faith and of faith in God. Instruction about cleansing rites. The laying on of hands. The resurrection of the dead. And eternal judgment. Here we see that the preacher gives five examples of the kind of teachings to move forward from. So one is repentance from acts that lead to death and to faith in God. Instruction about cleansing rites, possibly a baptism class. Laying of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. The preacher's point here isn't that these things aren't important. They are and can even be called foundational to our faith but that we are to move beyond this type of teaching to a deeper relationship and maturity with God. So this begs the question, what what does it mean to be mature in God? Hebrews 5.14, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use 
have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Here, the definition of someone who is mature that needs solid food are those who have the ability to, to tell the difference between right and wrong due to, due to constant training. Those who are mature are mature because they put in the time and effort to learn and, and to experience the ins and outs of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've been biking my whole life. Ever since I was a child, I remember when I was in Korea, I think like five years old, I was already off my training wheels, and I still remember going bike riding with my cousins and my brother who was still on in his training wheel, and we just like ride around the city. And, and, you know, I've always kind of ridden bikes here and there throughout my life. But when I got to Spring Garden about seven years ago, you do know that, you know, Spring Gardeners have some hardcore bikers, right? Yeah, we got the real uh, gearheads here, right? And so I decided maybe I should get into it a little more, right? Like others here are biking. It's good for you. It's good for uh, <coughs> the environment, right? There's, there's all these positives. So, you know, I got, a, got myself a new bike and started biking. And then, you know, I was talking to one of our fellow bikers at the church. He explained to me why people get those clip-ons for their shoes. You know, they have those special shoes for biking. I just thought it was just, you know, a, a cool thing to do, right? You just get the gear and do that. But there's actually a reason for it, right? Because, uh, and what he told me is that because then it helps with your pedaling up. So it's not just when you're going down and pushing down, but as you also come up on your, you know, your uh, leg, that, I guess, negative force or whatever, you're, you're also having pressure there. So it's, it's really more efficient. So I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. I never knew that, right? And so I'm like, oh, maybe I should get into that. Maybe I should get it. And, but, you know, I didn't, you know. Um, every every uh, summer, I say to myself, oh, I'm going to start commuting to work with my bike. And I'll do it like once, maybe twice, and then I, I, don't, I don't do it. I just give up. So obviously, I'm not a hardcore biker. But in the same way, the Christian faith and journey with Jesus and to Jesus takes practice. It is something that isn't just consumed in books and lessons or podcasts, but rather it is a, a lived experience. And as we practice and live out what it means to be a Christian, and as we mature in our relationship with Jesus, the more we are able to distinguish between good from evil. What is interesting here is that Knowing between good and evil was something that Adam and Eve wanted, right? They wanted to be like God, being able to discern the difference between good and evil. One of the words we use to describe this ability to know between good and evil is the word discernment. The word discernment means to be able to determine, to decide, or distinguish between two things. Ruth Haley Barton, we use her books with uh, for our own discernment process at the church, writes that discernment is the ability to distinguish between the good, what is of God and what draws us closer to God, and what is evil, that is, what is not of God and what draws us away from God. St. Ignatius, who started the Jesuit movement in the 1500s, defines it as finding God in all things in order that we might love and serve God in all. Finding God in all things 
in order that we might love and serve God in all. And isn't this what it means to be a follower of Jesus? It's an ongoing relationship with Jesus where we are able to discern where God is working in our world, but also in our lives. And to submit ourselves to God's will and purposes for us and for the world. This is why Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12 too, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul is here encouraging his listeners to renew their minds for the purpose of discerning the will of God. Every one of us are called to discern the will of God in our lives and in our world. It isn't left just for the spiritually elite, but rather is an expectation of every person who follows Jesus. My friends, again, who are hardcore bikers, can tell just by feel of riding their bikes if there's some, something's wrong. They just know it like intuitively, innately, they could feel as they ride, something's off. You can almost argue that they know it by heart. In the same way, the preacher of Hebrews here is encouraging and warning his hearers to keep maturing in their faith. And in order for us to get to that place of maturity, we need to know the inner movements of the Spirit because we actually know it by heart. That is, this maturity isn't just head knowledge or, or something we've watched from the silence, sidelines, but rather because we've been, on, we've been bike riding all along. We've wrestled with what it means to be a follower of Christ because we put in the work of struggling with and discerning whether or not something is of God or not in our lives. That because we've wrestled with it, we could recognize or by heart, almost kind of intuitively, yeah, that's from God or that's not from God. Just to refresh our memory, the speaker of Hebrews was writing within the context of his hearers who were not immature in their faith. They were actually mature enough but rather have stopped trying to be mature Christians. So it's within this context, he encourages them to keep moving forward and warns them with an example of what this sluggishness of faith could lead to. He says that those who have experienced the Holy Spirit, those who have experienced the Word of God and have lived and been part of a community of faith can also fall away from the faith. Maybe there were those who felt as though, uh, that as long as they st stick to the basics and know enough, as long as I can do the minimum, I can still follow Jesus. Uh, the preacher wants his listeners to know that there is no going back. It's not possible. Now, some have looked at this passage and wondered whether or not someone who falls away from the faith can, can ever become Christians again. Or if someone did fall away, that they were never a Christian to begin with in the first place. But I don't think that is what the point of the preacher uh, is trying to make here, as much as, as a way to warn and encourage his hearers to not be like that. Instead, they are to keep growing and maturing as the people of God. And we see this by what the preacher says in verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation, he says, even though I warn you in this way, we know you're not like this. 
that you have not fallen away from the faith and are in fact more than just infants who need milk. And we see this because in verse 12, this is what the preacher is encouraging his listeners to do. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Remember that Greek word, nothroi, where we see the... Here we see the speaker using that same word, nothroi, to bookend this section. The word that is translated here as lazy is the same word, nothroi, to mean sluggish or hard of hearing. So what he's saying is, we do not want you to become sluggish or hard of hearing, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. This could be the reason why when the preacher is warning his listeners, alludes to a land that produces fruit to that of land that produces thorns and thistles. Do you remember the story of Jesus and the parable of the sower? Do we produce fruit as those who hear the word of God and put it into practice? Or does our hard of hearing or sluggishness lead to thorns and thistles? For some of us, We do need milk and need to grow in our knowledge of God and what it means to be a Christian. And that is what is needed, and that is where we all need to start. Yet there are many of us in this room where we are not infants anymore. Just as the preacher believed that there were those who were more than capable of taking on more responsibility, I believe that there are those in our room right now in this space and those who are online that's joining us, that you are more that you are you can do a lot more than what you're doing now and it's not because we're trying to guilt trip you or make you feel bad about what you're doing but because you have the ability you have the gifting god has gifted so many of our folks here with so many different gifts to serve and to and to help others grow that that i think we owe it to ourselves but also to god to serve in those ways. But what is holding you back? What kind of solid food that may, maybe you need so that you can continue to serve God? In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Maybe I didn't like uh, cilantro. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood be- behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Here Paul uses a similar argument. Remember, Paul is not the same writer as Hebrews, right? Paul uses a similar argument here as the preacher of Hebrews does. When he was a child, he reasoned like a child. And when he became a man, he reasoned like a an adult. He then ends with these three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. What is interesting about this Corinthians passage and our passage today is that in both instances, there's this discussion about being a child and then maturing and being an adult, or of maturing in one's relationship with Christ. And the preacher here ends our section here with the same three things that Paul mentions as those who are mature, faith, hope, and love. Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him 
as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that you hope, so what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Faith, hope, and love. So what are some practical ways of responding to what we have heard this morning? For some of us, it may mean that we need to step up or step in. Instead of shirking our responsibilities, if you're someone who is mature in the faith, you need to continue to serve, to continue to grow, to continue in the faith. I know some of you may be tired and weary and need rest, and I think that is important and needed for you if if you're at that place. But we encourage you to get fed, to be renewed, so that you can also serve again. We want you to consider why you might be holding back and want to invite you to join us in seeing where God is working in you and in this world. For some of us, it may mean moving beyond the foundations of our faith into deeper knowledge of what it means to discern the Spirit of God in our lives. And this takes practice. It does not happen overnight, and you need to spend time doing it. Just as I need to spend time bike riding and knowing what, uh, what it feels to ride a bike. In the same way, we need to practice our faith. It is only through praying that we learn how to pray. It is only through spending time and wrestling with the voices in our heads, the the spirits that are around us, uh, to be able to discern what is, is, is what I'm hearing just from my own brain or what I want, or is this what God wants? But we can only know this as we spend time with God. And if you feel like you don't have time, well, I encourage you to make time. For some of us, it may mean joining a Bible study or a small group or a life group or a prayer group. We know that this faith journey is never done on our own, but in community. We need one another to imitate, to learn from, to help one another, and to encourage each other. This is why we want to encourage you to join a small group, so that you can encourage one another in this faith journey. I remember when I first started having children, I was made aware of these developmental markers that our children need to hit, depending on how old they are, right? Whether it was eating solid food, taking their first step, getting out of their diapers. Each child did learn and mature in their own time. You know, there's always a, um, you know, a, a time frame when, when people develop and when children develop. But if they don't hit a developmental mark by a certain age, we start worrying. We know that there's something wrong that's going on. And so now we go and see, uh, whether we see a doctor, see a specialist, to see what's going on because we're concerned with our children, making sure that they grow and develop as they should. And this, when, when a child or even maybe a young adult stops developing, we call that arrested development. In a similar way, we as Christians are called to develop into fully mature children of God who can discern the movements of God's Spirit in our lives and ourselves and in our world. So the question to ask ourselves is, where are we on our journey? Are, are we persevering in our relationship with Jesus? Are we just hanging on? Are we, 
in need of a spotter or a friend who can motivate and encourage us. Wherever you are on your journey, let us hear the warnings, but more than that, the encouragement of the preacher of Hebrews. Let us continue to run the race that is set before us. Let us persevere and not give up. Let us continue to mature and deepen our faith in hope and in love with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God who cares for us enough to not let us stay where we are. Though it may be uncomfortable, challenging, hard, and even painful at times, you want us to mature and deepen our relationship with you. That as we grow in our, in our faith and in our knowledge of you, that we are able to be more fully developed uh, human beings who can serve um, you and, and the world. So Jesus, we, we ask you for every one of us here, I know we are all made differently and are motivated differently. Some of us need more willpower. Others need um, more rest. Wherever we may be, help us to open our hearts to hear what you, must, you might be calling us to next. And give us faith when we don't have it. Give us hope when we're um, feeling hopeless. And fill us more with your love that we may be your hands and feet and your people in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.